1: All right, we are here with another club update slash segment following the conclusion of the 2022-2023 season. Uh, joined today by Steve Magookin, who's a long-suffering Spurs fan, mentor, former chairman of New York Spurs, has a website over at statesofplayproject.com. Be sure to go check out it as well. Steve, an absolute pleasure always talking to you. Although, less of a pleasure talking about the season that Tottenham just had. Um, as people may recall, heading into last season, there were some people thinking, you know, Conte finally got a wing back in Perisic. You know, got some, some options in midfield with Basuma and the like. Got a backup for Harry Kane, who it seemed was getting injured every year, but then managed to avoid it this year in Charleston. Optimism was high. Spent a lot of money, brought in players that in theory fit the Conte system, as we know, didn't necessarily have a happy ending. Do you think that that kind of batch of signings was kind of like the start of where things went wrong? Or, or what do you think really led to the decline that Spurs had after having some hopes of challenging for, you know, potentially the title, let alone the top four?
0: Yeah, uh, thanks again for, for having me on, Kev. It's really good to be back with you, especially since we don't have the existential angst of a, a recent uh <laughs> Uh, Defeat to talk about. So, uh, no, I I think you're absolutely right. I mean, obviously, um, you know, the biggest issue facing the incoming manager is going to be to sort out the roster and and what uh, Conte and Partici did with uh, with how they organized the the playing staff. and, And but that that would have been the case. You know, no matter who had taken the job in the end, so I think that it's not a bad thing that we're having to sort of sift through, uh, sift through the portfolios and see who we who we have and who we don't have and who we need. Um, I mean, we we have too many players out on loan, for example, that that will all need to be reevaluated by by the new coaching staff. Uh, obviously, in Dombley and Loscelso are the are the highest profile of those, and it would it would actually probably make sense for Loscelso to go to um, go to Villa with uh, with Unai Emery, um, assuming that that he wants to play in the Premiership. I was really optimistic when Richarlison arrived, and, I, and I, although I th- I think some of us had reservations about his price um, and and where that would elevate him in terms of you know the the, the value that we expected from him, uh, and it wasn't sure at that stage, whether he was going to alternate with, with a uh, or whether he would be, um, a, a, you know, a long term replacement for Harry and, and obviously, you know, despite a good world cup, you can't really see him in either of those roles as a first choice. I mean, you'd pick Kulosevsky over him and, and for sure he, he can sub for Harry, but he's not, he's not going to be our, our first choice number nine. And, and I think he's going to have to adjust to that, to that situation as well. Um. I just hope that the coaching staff have looked at where all these players are and what they've contributed in the, you know, the whether it be the limited minutes that they've had. I mean, Perisic, you mentioned Perisic, he's probably gone, and that's that's okay because he was very much a Conte player, um, and what he added to the to the squad can probably be replaced at, at some level. I think we're at the point where you can you can probably draw up all the. All the tactical charts uh, that you want with the players we currently have, whether that's you know the players on the home roster or or that have to return from loan, but it actually won't mean anything until we get an idea of you know what the incoming manager wants to wants to do with them and whether he sees them as being part of his part of his system. But obviously we've known for a while, and this has been a, a sort of a continuing process. The the, the playing staff. Is going to need some urgent reassessment and and upgrading, I think. But there are you know there are upsides as well. We shouldn't we shouldn't ignore the fact that we're we're going to get Bentoncore back. Uh, Basuma looks like he's finally on the right trajectory. And I, you, you and I have talked in the past about uh, players that we could bring in. And I I was always a big admirer of both um, Madison and Tielemans mm. at, at Leicester. But I think Basuma, you know, if we get what we're what he's capable of out of him he can certainly be as good as as good as them i think the jury's still out on on sar um skippy uh is a good solid squad player and should certainly be good enough to play against 90 percent of the rest of the league but again you know you and i have talked about this before it comes back to the old question how many of our current players would walk into a team that just finished in the top four and apart from harry and probably sunny for another season there really aren't many and every position that we have should be upgradable so so our new coaching staff are going to have to look at the alternatives at each spot in the starting 11 in the context of how postacoglu wants to use them and i and i think when you <laughs> when you look at it the the only team really that has more problems to sort out in their playing staff is Probably Chelsea, yeah. Um, but for wildly different reasons, you know. And 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 I promised myself I wasn't going to mention Poch, but here we are in the first question. So <laughs> so it's not it, it's where we are is not the end of the world, but it's the start of a process that mm. may be beyond the the staff and the structure of the club to actually cope with adequately without having a you know like some kind of fire seal and getting rid of a whole bunch of players that um that they just haven't had a chance to uh to assess properly
1: yeah there will definitely be a lot of turnover for sure um to to finish up recapping last season where do you think it went wrong for conte last season obviously he had a lot of off the field uh stuff including a, a colleague of his at tottenham the fitness coach passing away obviously a couple of former players that he played with and he himself had uh, a serious medical procedure. Yeah. I think a lot of people look to that stuff. Do you think that it was it was that, or do you think there was something else that kind of led to the season not really culminating the way that many had hoped?
0: Yeah, I, I think all of those things you have to take into account, especially Ventrano's uh, passing. I mean, that was, that was obviously uh, quite an important uh, uh, milestone, but this would be strange if we hadn't just come off an elite win-now manager uh, so we hired another one and then realizes he can't win with the squad we have. I mean, it, that, it would be weird if it hadn't just happened, but unfortunately it, it did. And we we didn't seem to learn anything from it. I mean, Conte's rant, which everybody will point to and say that that's, you know, that's where the whole thing fell apart. That was inevitable. And I think as was how his, how his tenure ended. Uh, and... I don't really want to dwell too much on it because I think there's more than enough blame to go around both, you know, in the dugout, on the field and in the boardroom. So, but I mean, you know, there's a famous meme of uh, Mourinho and Conte shaking hands on the touchline and, and Mourinho saying they pay you to come and they pay you to leave. <laughs> that's, that's essentially what we, uh, what we ended up with. I mean, you you can't hire a win now manager, and then you know, expect him to win with a squad that couldn't win with another win now manager.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think there was optimism that with the the um, you know, the automatisms, the the system, <laughs> that yeah. they'd be able to get something. And as you know, I think most Spurs fans would have given up a lot to see Harry and or Hugo be able to lift a trophy with us. But,
0: oh. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. More but, than
1: any- Yeah. Then obviously what, what followed from there was uh, him being let go, hiring his assistant for a few weeks, going terribly. Obviously, was it 6-1 ultimately against Newcastle? Hugo getting hurt probably his last match, then Mason coming in. Really, just the last 10 to 15 weeks of the season were just shambolic. Aside oh. from the Brighton match, which I got to see in person. So uh, actually that match was kind of shambolic too, but they yeah. won. And that's, that's nice. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. I was obviously... like
0: being at the, at the final days of the Roman Colosseum, wasn't it? Like I, as everything was falling apart <laughs> around you, but no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, Stellini was a mistake uh he he should have left with Conte and and I think if he's honest he will probably sell say that too uh but maybe you know we were blinded by what was it he had a three and one or a four and oh record as caretaker up to that point yeah beating City and Chelsea yeah exactly so but you know I, that that showed a, a that showed a sense of desperation on the part of the board that or the part of the ownership that uh, has yeah w- will probably be repeated at some point in our club's future. But but I'm I'm really glad actually you know looking at the positives which I always try to do. Uh, I'm really glad Mason stayed and will be involved with the club as we make this this next transition because it would have you know he he could have by this stage he could have you know got a decent managerial role in uh, a lower level championship team or league 1 team if that's where he wanted to go with that um but i think the institutional knowledge and memory that he brings with knowing the players being in a position to to read the mood in the dressing room i think with a with a with a new manager coming in who i think more than any of our recent uh, as i say elite managers has something to prove. I think that's going to be a huge positive for Ange. You know, he's going to come in, and uh, and he's going to need to say, okay, just give me a give me an evaluation as as best you can of each player based on, you know, the qualities that I'm looking for. And uh, and Ran Mason, I think, is in an excellent position to be able to do that. And I'm I'm really glad that he's he's staying with the club.
1: Mm. Yeah, he was doing some pretty interesting tactical stuff, and of course. Uh, he he didn't actually uh, assistant manage under Mourinho, right? Um, that was Ledley King for that one year for who knows why. Um, yeah. But Mason, with his you know learning how to play uh, meaningfully through the Tottenham's academy, and then Pochettino yeah. as a senior player, now having worked in the same organization at least as Mourinho and now Conte and now Ange. like it, it's it, he's going to have a very interesting uh footballing yeah. identity at some point although it does seem to lean closer to Poch's way but with a lot more tactical nuance than admittedly Poch had though you know that was you know started in yeah, 2013 no, I, and I think, maybe and yeah, it's a different world now
0: and, and and as we were saying i think i think it's also about just being close to the players i mean not not sort of being their mate or anything like that which i'm sure he is but although he is harry kane's best friend <laughs> Yeah, true. But just understanding their mood, being able to read their mood in the way in which someone who hasn't been in the dressing room with them can do, I think that's that's a psychological positive that uh, is really going to uh, pay dividends for us.
1: Yeah, and then ultimately <laughs> the result of this season was that spurs are missing out on european football for the first time while i've been a supporter so it's it's been a minute (laughs) um do you do you view that as like an ultimate failure or kind of on the final day were you starting to look at potentially the benefits of missing out on europe and the fact that you just have the one match a week you can trim the squad etc
0: well it well if we do trim the squad and that's that's always our priority but i mean normally you and i've talked about this before normally i'm the sort of fan that sees every tournament as a chance to win something. Uh, I mean, you know, we had to watch how good that conference win was for West Ham and their fans. And, and actually just, you know, as an aside, I was uh, really happy for David Moyes. I mean, you know, everyone deserves to drunk dance to the proclaimers like that at some point in their career. Um, (laughs) And I actually, I actually thought just talking to Moyes, for a saying I actually thought he would end up replacing Postacoglu at Celtic, but it looks like he's going to stay at West Ham now. So I hope they, I hope they're able to, you know, give him a little bit of backing and and sort of improve their position in the league. But yeah, I, again, I have to apologize to you, Kev, because I introduced you to Spurs. You know, for, <laughs> for good or ill, that was that was down on me. And uh, and you, you know, you've had a pretty a successful history over mm. overall, but it's not that long ago when you know We we were happy to qualify to play against a team from Transnistria on a Thursday afternoon And <laughs> I'm actually I'm generally the sort of the sort of fan that wants us to play more games and more tournaments um, e- Even if it's only for the opportunity to give some of the kids and the fringe players some high-level game time I mean, especially Especially now with a new coach coming in who needs to see them in a in a in a competitive environment, but I can also I can also see the argument this season, and I, I I sympathize with it that we need some kind of firewall that says, "Well, we're not in Europe because we really didn't deserve to play in Europe this year because I think in a way we've sort of lost sight. Of how important those games against the Transnistrians or the Shamrock Rovers or whatever how important those actually are, both in terms of player development and in terms of just keeping our fan base excited and involved. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's not lost on any of us that it was it was this month four years ago that we lost the Champions League final, and You know, thanks to everyone who's reminded us that the next day the club tweeted out, you know, that picture of the team with, "We're just getting started and we will be back." Do you remember that? Oh my goodness! But I mean, it's fair to say I think that everything, everything about the club has been downhill since then. uh, With maybe the high point in terms of achievement being um, being Conte getting us into the Champions League last season Mm. uh, against the odds, but then but then to what end, for what?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point because it really was like, that matters if it's building to something. I think that was the expectation and then it didn't.
0: Yes, I mean, you know, it just seemed like, you know, that was just about the money, just about the revenue stream. Um, And, you know, as as we've talked about in, in the past, Kev, I have always blamed the Champions League, always blamed the Champions League for inevitably widening that gulf between the, the, the universe of rich and relatively poor clubs and and not being interested in breaking the hold that the rich clubs have on the tournament. And that just naturally perpetuates the stratification. I mean, four years ago, when we, when we played against Liverpool in that final, we were the first, quote, new team in a Champions League final for more than 10 years. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how Newcastle get on this year, although obviously they're... They fall into the category of a rich club now, although the the, the clubs that traditionally contest the Champions League, uh, especially at the later stages, are the, the 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 continent's you know richest teams. That's that's just an inevitable an inevitable fact, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, it, it real <laughs> really fascinating to see how <clears throat> how Newcastle fare, how Arsenal fare their first year back. Um, so yeah, it, that. But I'm not excited about any of that. Nor was I excited <laughs> by this past season, which at times was just nightmarish. I, I I turned off the Newcastle match. That genuinely, I think, is the first time I've done that. Not when I, like I had a meeting or something. I was just like, <laughs> I don't need it. I don't need yeah, it anymore. Yeah. And then a friend texted me, "We drew in the second half." And, I was like, <laughs> and you Great. know,
0: you know, the worst thing about it? Mm. it, it was the same day as they did the um, the alert test, where they oh, would- that's right. You know, and all the oh my god, all the all the the memes about uh, uh, oh Tottenham. You know, your world is imploding, and there's nothing you can do about it. It, it just it just hit too close to home that day.
1: <laughs> yeah, not too fun. Um, but if we had to to summarize the whole season into a letter grade, what do you think you'd give it?
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I I can't honestly seriously give us a grade this year because. We failed in pretty much everything we did, apart from, ironically, off the field. Um, mm. and, and I think it's more—it's more than just, you know, when the teacher writes "can do better" or something like that on your report card. <laughs> it's like—I I mean, not wanting to get political about this, but you, you remember Boris Johnson's old teacher uh, famously wrote on, on one of his report card cards that Boris had a quote belief in his own superiority and said that Boris thought that he should be quote, free of the network of obligation that binds everyone. Well, you know, the club's owners have always, you know, needed to realize that the obligation that they have goes beyond just the people who own the club and extends to the people who keep the idea of the club alive. And yet they never do, year after year. So uh, anyway, I suppose what I'm trying to say is if if you judge success, by the Deloitte league table, uh, rather than the, actual, <laughs> the actual, league table. Yeah, then of course you'll, you'd give yourself a you know a big fat shiny A, which just makes it all the worse. But which uh, Levy did
1: with his bonus, by the way. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. And that's been the that's been the core of our problem the past few seasons. the The profitability and the business strategy has been a solid B. Has been a solid B, and and all the other kids in the class would look at that and say, "Well, we wish we, we could do that too." And 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 you know, if they'd pulled off the Super League idea, it would have been an A plus. Strate, you know, financially <laughs> and economically, strategically, it would have been. But the on field product has been a you know pretty mediocre C, quite frankly. In a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place with LinkedIn you can hire professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/people today Frankly apart apart from Harry and Harry's always a always an A student as as you and I know mm-hmm. but uh, but I know for an overall grade um, uh, Probably somewhere between an incomplete and a withdrawn.
1: <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I went for a D-minus because I think just <laughs> F is relegation. Yeah, right. <laughs> We weren't <laughs> relegated, so uh, slightly above that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But with that, we closed the, the page on what was the 2022-2023 season. Uh, of course, during that, but finally resolved managerial situation, when Conte was sacked, Mauricio Pochettino was available within three or three weeks or so. Julian Nagelsmann was available. Turns out we don't follow either of them. We end up hiring Ange Postecoglou. So kind of a two-parter here. Were you surprised or disappointed that we didn't go for like clearly the two best ready-made options in the market? Um, and then are you happy, despite that, ending up with Ange Postecoglou?
0: Uh, well, come on to Ange in just a second, but I, I think there's two sides to this uh, approach. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I never thought Potch would ever come back while Levy was in charge, and and really the question is why on earth would he? And as much as I love Potch, it would have and it would have been a safe out for Levy. It would have you know doing pursuing that would have been a safe out for him. I was never really expecting that to be a realistic possibility. Um, I was excited for a while about Nagelsmann, but then it, it started to look that he was trying to just keep his name in the back pages while looking for somewhere better, you know? Uh, well, it, it benefited Levy at that stage to be linked with one of Europe's top young coaches. But I, I never thought that he would come to us for exactly the same reason as Potch. Why on earth would he? I mean, can you imagine someone like Nagelsmann, going to a club that's not in Europe, let alone the Champions League. I mean, who, who would honestly hmm. take a step backward in their career trajectory to come to us right now? I mean, Luis Enrique, we just found out yesterday, is off to PSG. And, you know, fair play to him. And and, and the, the thing about Luis Enrique, he never actually said anything about being linked with us, even though he could have run a mile, metaphorically. You know, it's like it's not like European coaches and their agents don't talk to each other. So I, th- I think where we are is we, we were always going to end up with somebody like, like Ange or Brendan Rodgers, and-, and that's where we are. So I think, you know, we should just make the best of it. But while this ownership continues, Kev, and we- we've said this before, it's probably unlikely that anything will change structurally in terms of let's get to the end of the season, see where we are, and make the best of the job that we have. So it's in, in terms of you know, was I expecting Ange? No, I wasn't. But um, of the other possibilities, uh, I didn't really think any of them were were realistic. And it was in the club's interest to promote the idea that they were.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm pretty happy where we wound up. A little disappointed just because like we always knew that the next manager was going to signify our direction. Yeah. Are we starting a rebuild or are we literally just trying to squeeze the last ounce out of Kane after that, th- after that, that premise failed two consecutive times. I, I'm not counting no, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of really exciting stuff about Antwasta Koglu and uh, whether or not he's able to find immediate success. It, it's unlikely. I, I was talking to one of my friends yesterday and I was saying our best chance at top four is that we're not in Europe. Not that we will be the four, one of the four best teams in the league, but just as other teams get ground down by European competition, we right. might be able to, like Brighton or Aston Villa this year, kind of yeah. step up a couple steps um, while everyone else is struggling. Um, but yeah, I'm really fascinated to, to hear what you think about on himself as a manager now that he's in. You mentioned earlier, retaining Ryan Mason has found success just about everywhere he's been before, albeit at, at, at smaller clubs and, and smaller leagues. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what are your overall thoughts?
0: Well, I mean, from what I've read and uh, seen on the, the the famous videos that are circulating of his team talks, I, I'm very encouraged, I have to say. And, and and clearly, the guy was in demand among other clubs. I honestly thought, to be honest, I, I thought he was going to stay at Celtic, uh, where he's absolutely adored, and and have another crack at the Champions League there with them. But you know, the, I suppose the lure of of making that step up or the perceptive step up. I mean, you're stepping down from being in a champ in the champions league, but you're stepping up in terms of the day to day reputation of the premiership. And, it, you know, obviously it's his first time in the premiership and I, I don't want to cast any kind of aspersions on the SPL, but obviously the two leagues are, are, are very different. I mean, in Scotland, It would be a huge upset if if Celtic were to lose to, you know, say, Ross County. But in the premiership, there there are no easy games, as we know. I mean, the top four should beat the bottom four nine times out of ten. And therefore, it becomes a problem if you don't beyond just, you know, it's a problem beyond just the actual points dropped. that, that, That there's some, you know, as we found out this season, if you lose a succession of games to teams that are, not just teams that you should be beating, but teams that shouldn't really cause you a problem. There's something that you that goes deeper that you actually say, well, maybe it's a psychological thing. I don't know. Maybe we can't just prepare properly. But I think what I'm encouraged by is that uh, Poskogly apparently var- values um, uh, bravery and commitment over over tactical nice That he'll he'll find players to move into the. The three different systems that he plays but what he's most committed to are you know this this idea of bravery and and he wants to see who's prepared to run through a brick wall for him and and it sounds like you know spurs are the sort of team that really needs something like that at the moment uh you know just to turn just to turn the mentality of the squad around um i mean someone wrote that um Ange could could turn out to either be the new martin yall or the new nuno and and I think that's actually probably a pretty good summary because we have to be able to leave aside whether or not we think he's a good bloke, um, which he seems to be, but that's not going to be enough in the Premier League. But I'm obviously, you know, I'm obviously backing him completely until there's a real fundamental reason not to. And I don't think we're going to see evidence of that until next season. So I'm I'm not in a position where I'm going to rush to judge him on this season. Um, so as, as I said before, I think I think it's pointless really to talk about anyone who's not going to be our manager next year. I mean that that train that train has left the station. So so let's just get on with Ange and see see how it all plays out. And I I, I think we'll uh, we'll we'll see uh, pretty quickly, relatively quickly, uh, what effect he's had.
1: Yeah, I I think that's right. And I think most fans recognize that this is not going to be a contending year. This is probably a rebuilding year as we learn a new system. The benefit of having full weeks to train and stuff like that helps. But um, do you think that the club itself will give him the resources and time that he needs? Or do you think they'll be a little shy in in that regard, given how poorly the spending went under Marina Conte?
0: that's That's a very good point i mean I, there's no incentive for them not to not to back him uh and and with this ownership and it's it's sort of lack and change of direction and priorities i I really want to be optimistic about this time, but again we can't we can't judge this yet uh, i as I say I think we'll get an indication by Christmas of whether he'll have a, a you know a, a direct day to day influence on how we play and how the team organizes itself. But we'll know for sure next season. So again, you know, I I hope they will back him. But you have the same you have the same arguments as there would be around any any manager. You know, if we're looking to upgrade the squad, why would a player come here when they can play in the Champions League? If they're good enough to play in the Champions League, why would they choose to choose us? Um, so he's he's going to have to work with what he has. And you know, in 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 a strange way, going back to the first point that we were talking about. We have too big a squad that needs to be, you know, threaded out a little bit. But there are plenty of choices within those players within that roster that can slot into different um, different um, systems that he wants to play. So it's as again, nobody really. You can only have blind faith that uh, we've ended up with this guy. Let's give him our support and let's do the. Let's let him do his do his work and see how he see how he cooks over the next few months.
1: Yeah. Which players do you think will, will kind of fit well or succeed under him or, or if it's an easier list, although it might be longer, uh, who do you think might kind of be on the way out?
0: Right. Well, no, the interesting thing is, you remember we were saying about, you know, how the, the story seemed to say that he values this idea of bravery and, and commitment and running through a brick wall. Well, you know, you, you, in terms of the team that we have, Hoiberg represents that. But yet, the talk has surfaced very quickly about whether or not he's going to actually fit in or you know, whether he wants a way. Mm. And you have to kind of wonder where that's coming from. Is that coming from, from the, the, the new manager side or is it coming from Hoiberg's agent? Or, or you know, where is that coming from? And of course, Eric Dyer is the, the, the ultimate conundrum for for Spurs fans who's never really find a position where he seems comfortable and but yet the interesting thing is that, that that brick wall stuff both those players have that but is it enough within whatever system he wants to play and and again it goes back to i think no matter who the new manager would have been and and no matter what the new system they play is there's always going to be speculation about who's going to be in and who's going to be out so it, it it's just inevitable to sort of look at look at our squad and say, would would this player or this 11, would they play the same way under Pasta as they would play under Conte? And you don't know until they cross that cross the line and, and play again.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering if part of the Hojbjerg stuff is that there isn't a traditional air quotes defensive midfielder right uh the way that he was playing at Celtic although I'm not really sure how replicatable that is because they were so yeah. heinously the best team in their league I don't well, know if you saw they I, averaged almost yeah three quarters possession know. <laughs> over this over the over the league so there might have to be some tweaks there <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's it's going to be interesting because also with a high line that doesn't suit yeah. Dyer there isn't a natural defensive midfielder so that doesn't suit Hoybier. so I see your point about like maybe the system and the tactics not aligning with the personality traits that he often looks for, but
0: yeah, maybe it just means we'll, we'll get Cameron Carter Vickers back.
1: (laughs) You got it, you know, there uh, i'm not really a big fan of the idea of bringing in hatate who i think is like incredible in his role but maybe isn't that great overall uh the analogy i used the other day was like a danny drinkwater type maybe not exactly player to player but that kind of thing where it was like wow danny drinkwater is so good in this role for claudio ranieri's lester and then he went to chelsea and just immediately um was kind of i don't know if found out's fair i think he got injured as well and
0: also kev the the interesting thing is you know when you when you You go public when Ange goes public to talk about this notion of I want players who'll run through a brick wall for me. They might in one team, but then completely be on the periphery in another team and not feel that they're valued in the same way. So we're we're just going to have to wait and see, I think.
1: Yep, probably right. Uh, To make it simpler, how many players do you think are heading out? I've seen people guess anywhere from like six to to somewhere in the teens. Like, do you think we'll get the like massive clear out that has kind of been needed for years? Or do you think it'll just be more loans and kind of continuing yeah. to defer the issue?
0: I, I'm not sure we will, to be honest. I don't think we'll go, we'll see that many out the door until he's had a chance to evaluate them. And and again, you know, going back to this idea of is it is it better that we're not in Europe? Well, it's more games to observe players in a competitive environment. So... I'm. I wouldn't expect an awful lot of players to be out the door straight away. But I think we all know that the priority is sorting out the loan situations, especially with players who went on loan and had success away from us. You know, how how do you bring those? How do you bring a Brian Gill back, and actually say, well, you know, we're we're trying something new. Um, you should come back and play for us and and see how things are going. But yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect things to end up being too um, uh, traumatic in the in the early stages. Let's see where we are at Christmas and uh, and what the what the possibilities are then.
1: Yeah, and they will have the full preseason tour, which very conveniently rolls through Australia this year. Yeah, um, and that's kind of when we found out last year. The like Lo Celso and Ndombele and the like weren't even going to get a chance as they didn't even go on the preseason tour. So right. we, we might get an early inkling, but I agree with you. It's just going to take time. And I think considering that the fan base's expectations have been so high since the later stages of the Poch era into Mourinho, into Conte, I think it's going to take some adjustment. But I agree with you. I, I think there's no reason for the club to not support it. Hiring him seems to have been the, the sign that they're willing to try to build back up some of the stuff we've lost, including uh, signing Mikey Moore and, you know, trying to rely on the youth pipeline a bit more though. It comes a little bit too late for some of the older Academy players. Um, Cool. Well, uh, with all of that in mind, what are your, what are your final expectations for next season? Is it, you know, top six because we don't have Europe to distract us? Is it just like top 10, just figure it out this year and it's supposed to be a launch pad moving forward?
0: Yeah, Yeah. yeah. well, I, I think it. obviously we're entering another rebuilding period or at least you hope that we are. And we're all going to have to be realistic about this, which is, you know, pretty much every season, regardless of who the manager has been, you'll always get plenty of Spurs players that always used to say, you know, oh, fourth and a cup, you know, fourth and a cup. And then that became oh Europe and a good cup run, you know, and I just I don't think you can set a specific expectation for the situation we find ourselves in right now. I mean, on the one hand, you know, we both know, Kev, that the players we have are or should be good enough to perform better than we did this season. It's only you know it's only water under the bridge if they actually do that in the coming season. So I think by by this time next season. I would I would settle for having us having seen us start to play with some sense of organisation and commitment, and for for everyone, you know, players and fans alike, to be on the same page with what the new manager's plan in is, and understand how he how he's going to build on whatever it is he can accomplish in his debut season. And, and uh, you know, our expectations can't be too high for him. I mean, if if we were to finish seventh next year. If we're talking this time next year and we'd finished seventh, that would be an improvement over this past season. And, you know, uh, it presumably keeps the ownership happy since we'd be treading water, would not be in danger of relegation. Uh, and, you know, they can pack the place out with a few more Beyonce concerts. But, it's <laughs> you know, the the expectation changes with every new manager. And again, when, when we didn't get Potch, we didn't get Nagelsmann, the expectation level adjusts. And I think it's it, it, inevitable that that we have to go along with that. I mean, I was saying to somebody recently, uh, I'm, I'm in the U.S. at the moment, but I was saying to somebody recently that Harvard Harvard University is often described as a hedge fund with a nice library attached. Hmm. And, and uh, you know, depending on how this season goes, it's probably fair to say Spurs are in danger of becoming a world-class venue with a football team attached. And I honestly think that our owner's priority every season is to get to 40 points. I I really have have come to believe that. And and anything beyond that is gravy. And I I hope that by this time next season that we've at least staved off any sense that we're thinking remotely about being caught up in a relegation battle. But, you know, I, I, I can't help but worry that football... In general, I think Kev, is fast becoming that way. That it's all about it's so much about money that it's about just maintaining your football league status or your Premier League status, and and there isn't going to be an awful lot of things that fans generally will be able to do about that. But um, yeah, I, the expectations are uh, it's uh, that's that's the that's the magic eight ball question, uh, Kev. and and I think the the, the thing about how. Other teams set their expectations is, you know, something that we shall we shall talk about through the season, I feel sure. But it's a it's a whole other conversation for another time.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, I think if Kane stays, we we won't be in a relegation fight, but for people right. that forget, right. he did score 30 of our uh, seventy Premier League goals this season. How on
0: earth did he do that? Uh, right. In he's our team?
1: Very yeah. good and he was healthy all year.
0: Yep, yep, yep.
1: <laughs> Cool. Uh, we'll wrap on that very uh, one high note that Harry Kane is, in fact, very good at football. Uh, <laughs> if you want to tell folks where they can find you now, would be a good time.
0: Well, thanks very much, Kev. It's always a great pleasure talking to you and and another enjoyable conversation. Uh, My name is Steve McGookin. Uh, I'm normally based in Belfast. Uh, I was the chairman of the New York Spurs uh, Supporters Club. You can get me on Twitter at Steve McGookin, or you can follow my non-football writing at uh, statesofplayproject.com
1: awesome as he said an absolute pleasure chatting to you hopefully a productive summer for tottenham heading into a good season but in the interim folks at home we hope you keep listening